reading is Luke 10, 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet, Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Thank you, Murray. This week I, uh, I came to within an inch of my life <clears throat> due to an affliction known as the man flu. I'm glad I survived, only just. But I still have the remnants of it, so I just apologise at the outset for a few coughs and stuff. You have the uh, unenviable position of needing to listen to that if it comes through the, um, through the, the sound system. I apologise for that in advance, and uh, maybe Ryan can try and strike a, a balance and predict when they come. And <laughs> All right. Uh, today, we're uh, finishing off a, a sermon series that we've been working at for many, many months and took some breaks. It's, it's on busyness, on, and we called it, well, Crazy Busy after the title of a book that was written about this. And throughout the series, we didn't really go to the passage in the Bible that Murray just read to us, which, which is probably the the go-to place, uh, the most famous passage uh, to do with the issue of, of, of busyness in, in the life of, of a follower of Jesus. And today, just to finish off, we'll, we'll just look at that little passage uh, under the title, The One Thing We Have to Do when it comes to our lives and managing busyness. Start out, let me ask you a question um, if Jesus in the flesh could send you an email and say, look, can I, can I stay at your house? <laughs> can you put me up for a night? Um, Jesus, for those of you who, who may not be familiar with, with the Christian faith uh, or with who he was, uh, we, we're sort of talking here about the figure in Christianity, this, the Son of God, uh, born as a man, crucified, raised, resurrected, God himself, who we worship. If he was to come, this is sort of the person we're talking about, and, and, and say, look, can I, can I stay at your place? Um, and let's assume you've agreed, you've said yes, yes, that's okay, um, what would be going on in your, in your mind? Think about this. What would be 
occupying the forefront of your mind that what would you be thinking about most? <laughs> I, uh, Dana and I have found this interesting since we moved to Tasmania. We never hosted visitors a lot, but we do here. And it was interesting in the, in the early stages when people would come to visit um, people who we knew fairly well, but never in the context of our own home. You know, it was a bit like, what should we think about? What, what is this going to be like? What, what do we need to... What is this going to be like? I mean, you quickly realise that there's a lot of things you think about when someone comes to stay at your house, let alone in this figurative scenario, if this, this person would be, would be Jesus Christ. Uh, what would we be thinking about? What would be our concerns, our, uh, our hopes? What would stress us out? What would we want? What would we expect from a, a visit like that? Well, the event that we read about this morning is precisely that. <laughs> Happened to, to uh, a person whose name was Martha. This is the scene of the story. Martha, we read, is a woman who invited Jesus to stay at her house as he and his disciples... He's on his way to ultimately be crucified, but they come to her village. She must have known about him before that. She, she's interested in him. She respects him. She's open to him. She says, sure, come. I'd love for you to come to stay at my house. Now, we meet a person in this, this woman, Martha, who, who at the outset comes across to us as a strong leader. This is the person who takes initiative. She's a homeowner. Homeowners in ancient times were usually males. This is a female. She knew her way around things. She's an initiative taker. She's a leader. She's a strong personality. She, she, uh, she's a, a, a certainly a, um, yeah, just an active, prominent personality. And living with her is her sister Mary, who comes across in most of what we know from her in the Bible, is much more shy, much more reserved, timid. Um, yeah, just not the strongest, most forceful of personalities. They, they are the two people, and their brother, Lazarus. That, Lazarus, that's the other person in this family. But Mary is this, the, the prominent one. She invites Jesus to come and stay, and as he stays, those verses say to us that uh, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Presumably, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, about who God is, about what God wants to do in our lives, about what we should expect of God. That's, that's what he did, and this is what happens in Martha's house. Mary's listening, and that's the scene. That's, that's, that's what's happening here. We move on to what I, I would call the, the error in judgment. Here's what we read. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, this is to Jesus, and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. We have a mother 
in our family who shall not be named. But sometimes when we have Christmas at her house, the lunch is always her most passionate affair. You know, she is really into the decorations, the, uh, the food, to make it special, to make it this, you know, wonderful, um, I don't want to say flamboyant, but special affair, the decorations, the special cutlery, the crockery, the dishes, the timing, the way we're supposed to do it, the bonbons, the Christmas tree, you know, the whole show. And I don't know how it is in your family, but we've had it so many times. We've had Christmas lunch, and at some point, invariably, in the lunch, you know, Mum is so stressed out about all the details of the things that, you know, perhaps are not quite going right or that haven't been done to her satisfaction or her expectations and, and the rest of us at some point in the lunch would just kind of beg her and say, oh, Mum, would you please just come and sit down? We just want to talk to you. We just want to have you uh, the quality of relationship around this meal, just drop it. Forget a bit about all these details. I don't know what Martha in this instance was really on about in terms of the preparations that needed to be made. But what strikes me in that line is that Martha was distracted by the preparations the preparations that needed to be made to host Jesus were not the issue. But that they have become to her, at least as she conceived of them, at least what she thought needed to be done and how it needed to be done, became a distraction. <laughs> they occupied a place in her mind and her heart uh, that they were never meant to have. She, in some ways, managed to, to, to get her, her priorities wrong, I guess, is where this is ultimately headed, a distraction. Martha was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. And to go on, this miscalculations of what was really important this distraction of what was really important does something very interesting to her behaviour, both towards her sister, but even towards Jesus. Look at what she asks Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. It's a question. But it's not really a question, it's really, it's really an accusation. <laughs> you don't care about me. <laughs> and saying to Jesus, Jesus, you, your priorities are wrong. Surely you should realise that what I'm trying to do here is more important than what you and Mary are doing here. Don't you care? And then this commanding position, uh, tell her. <laughs> tell her to get up and do what I'm doing because I am right. <laughs> there's, no, there's no humility here in saying, 
gee, guys, I'm struggling a bit here. It's, it's uh, quarter past six and we've got to get a few things ready. Can you help me? No, tell her. <laughs> Don't you care? The reality is here that the bottom line is that I think misaligned priorities such as Martha displayed here will always make us self-righteous, demanding and angry with others. Are you easily angry with others all the time? Do people constantly and in a never-ending fashion frustrate you? Are you buried in self-pity? Are you angry and bitter towards God, demanding that he takes actions and order the others as you might see fit? Could it be that your priorities are out of whack? Could it be that you, like Martha, are seeking the wrong thing. It's a question that is always worth asking ourselves when we wrestle with busyness. Am I busy and struggling and frustrated and battling the right stuff? Are my priorities straight? Or have I veered into some self-centered expectations of God and of other people. won't always be true, but it might sometimes be true. And it does pay to always be mindful that the Holy Spirit might convict us of wrong priorities. He might. He might. It certainly was true for Martha in this story at this point. But the event moves on to, to ultimately the lesson in the end of the passage. The gracious, gracious restoration. Jesus' response. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus had this remarkable ability that I, I just wish I and all of us could have so much more often in our Christian walks. This remarkable ability to be super gentle and loving and kind on the one hand and on the other hand so resolutely firm and immovable in what is right, what is the moral lesson. I, this is one of those instances where he displays those two things so brilliantly. He, he starts off saying to Martha, 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 the Lord answered. It's, a, it's an address of tenderness. Repeating the name twice. Martha, Martha, you good soul, you kind woman. A loving address, that tenderness. Jesus did not flare up. He didn't lash out. didn't meet fire with fire. Martha, Martha, you're worried. You're upset. There are many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. What's that? It's being in the presence of Jesus. Sitting at the feet 
of Jesus. Experiencing his word to us. Coming into his presence daily, weekly, monthly, six monthly. We've spoken a lot in this series about the rhythm of life. To receive from Jesus what we need to receive from Jesus. Healing. Wisdom. Fellowship. Forgiveness. Encouragement. Correction. Whatever it is that, that our hearts need to go and find that at the feet of of Jesus. And, and yes, this takes us back to a series that we've invested heavily in earlier this year. Prayer, prayer, prayer takes us back to prayer. It's the one thing that's needed. Always, always needed. I'm not going to go into that much today, but I remind us this is another instance of saying how important our prayer lives individually and together as a church is, it out-prioritizes everything always. It is the only thing that is always needed. Always, always. And Mary, Jesus says to Martha, has chosen this over the preparations. Or at least Martha's understanding of what the preparations should have been. What I like about Mary here is the text is very deliberate. She has chosen. She has presumably made a calculated choice in that moment. She had to sit down and figure out what is the most important thing for me right now. Is it to sit at the feet of Jesus, this great man who has come to my house to listen to him, to open my heart to him humbly at his feet? or to make the preparations, then in this instance she makes a judgment call. She says, nah, nah, this is going to be more important. This is better. <laughs> she exercises a choice. I don't want to get too practical here, but it is useful. Some of you know this. It's known as Eisenhower's Quadrant, or um, you'd read it in all sorts of time management books and Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. A uh, good bit of wisdom. It sort of breaks up everything in your life that you need to do into uh, four quadrants. Uh, and it looks at every commitment, everything that you need to do in either one or four categories. There are some things in your life that you need to do that are urgent and important. You know, the washing machine broke. We need to get that fixed. It's important because kids need school uniforms and it's urgent. We've got to get it done now. Top priority. Get that done. There's some stuff in your life that is important, really important, but it's not urgent. It doesn't shout out loudly at you. It's very important that I spend time with my loved ones in quality time, but it's not always urgent. It's not the most pressing thing on my agenda. Interestingly, they reckon that in, in, in business life, the most successful people, and I'm going to argue that in the Christian life, often the most fruitful Christians spend the majority of their time in that quadrant. Investing in stuff that's important but not necessarily shouting loudest at you, making that judgment call. 
There are things in life that are urgent, but they're not really important. Mopping the floor today. <laughs> it's urgent <laughs> as I look at it. <laughs> but but is, it, is it that important? Does it really matter whether we mop it today or next week or tomorrow? Depends on who you ask, I guess. Um, but look, it's probably not that important. It is certainly urgent as I look at the ants and all the other things. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> not urgent, not important. You know, those are probably just the no-brainer type of things. Taking the phone call just as we sit down for dinner that starts with the number plus 8100. Not important, not urgent. Just ignore it. Don't do it. This is a very useful tool. Tools don't fix things. It's how we use tools that fixes things. It's the values that we bring to this tool that will help us to manage busyness better or worse, that will lead us to greater fruitfulness or effectiveness in our lives. Look at Mary and Martha. Consider their actions in this story. For Martha, the preparations were urgent and important. That is a value that she applied, a judgment that she made in the circumstances. She would probably said, sitting at the feet of Jesus, yes, that is something that is important, but in that moment, not urgent. We consider the feet of Jesus later. The preparations were important and urgent. For Mary, probably the reverse to an extent. Jesus is in my house. <laughs> He's with me. The most urgent, the most important thing that I could possibly be doing right here is to hear from him, to receive from him, to sit at his feet. The preparations she probably put, knowingly or unknowingly, in this category of, look, they may be somewhat urgent, but not important. Maybe she thought they are important, but they're not urgent. We can all pull our weight later to get ready for dinner. We don't need to have that good a dinner today. We can just eat fish and chips and have more time talking to Jesus. <laughs> we have a culture that would say, hey, but you can't say to someone who's right and wrong, they're different people, to each their own. They can sure both be right in this instance. How can you, how can you criticise one person's value judgments here over another? Uh, that's sort of how we prefer to roll, really, in our culture. However, here comes Jesus who, though incredibly loving, incredibly caring, kind, gentle, makes a judgment call. <laughs> Says to Martha, Martha, in this instance, Mary was right. You were wrong. The greater priority was to sit at the feet of Jesus. We don't know exactly how Martha has responded. We, we're not told in the story. I love to let my imagination run. Well, what was her reaction to that? Was she ticked off? 
did she, did she go, wow, maybe he's right? Did she go and join in in sitting at the feet of Jesus with tea towel over her shoulder and said, okay, let's, let's not. We, we don't know. We do know, however, that Martha makes a staggering confession in Christ elsewhere in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, when her brother Lazarus has just died, Jesus rocks up at the scene and he asks her, this, what Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is, come, who is to come into the world. Let me finish with these words. I, I don't know if Jesus is in your heart or in your house. I know that he wants to come in. I stand at the door knocking. I, I want to be in your house. I want to be with you. And, and if you haven't let him in, I, consider you, I urge you to consider finding out what that involves and what change and what difference that will make to your life, your priorities, how you conduct busyness and what you live for. <laughs> Most Christians would attest to the fact that it's the best thing they've ever done to let Jesus into their house. Some of us here today, maybe that's where you're at. Others may be much more like Martha. The truth is, almost without exception, the intention is that we identify with her in the story. <laughs> we have led Jesus into our house. We've invited him to come in. He is there. The question is, will we sit at his feet? Will the way we live our, live our lives, will the way we arrange our priorities reflect that that is the one thing that is always important? Whatever we do as a church going forward, whatever plans we have, whether we plant, whether we don't, whether we grow, whether we don't, whatever it is that we do, may we never become distracted with the preparations at the expense of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Whatever we do in our lives as Christians, whatever we think we might be doing for Jesus, may we never become so distracted by those that we fail to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's always the one thing we must do. Let's pray. Our God, we, all of us, are continually, constantly battling distractions. That's the world we live in. And Lord, we pray as we do so that you would give us great insight great boldness, great courage to do what must be done in our lives to ensure that we sit at your feet. Reward us when we sit at your feet. <laughs> Fill us when we sit at your feet. 
Enthuse us when we sit at your feet like Mary. And Lord, I pray for those who have not let you into their house. I ask that they would do so. I ask that you would draw them irresistibly to a life of new priorities, new values, new way of doing life, one that is ultimately satisfying, ultimately filled with peace, with hope, with joy, resulting from just sitting at your feet. So change us, so shape us, individually, as a church, we pray in the great and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.